Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good Soccer Morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome in to the show, worldsoccertalk.com. We are live and on the air. Everything is working. All systems are go. All the afterburners are firing. Whatever, whatever stuff we need to do to get this show on the air, everything's working out. Very happy to have you, as I said already. Big show for you today. We're going to hit the news here in a mere moments, but let me set you up. Ross Dunbar, a friend who covers Bundesliga for many an outlet, will join us in the next segment. We'll talk about the German teams in the Champions League. Certainly that's going to lead some headlines, Champions League results. We'll also talk about the state of the Bundesliga at the moment. Uh, you know, uh, Nearly a third of the way into this season, I imagine. What, how many games have we played? How many rounds have we played in the Bundesliga, Trevor? I don't have that in front of me. You probably don't either. It's a good number of rounds. Bayern Munich, of course, uh, big favorites to, to walk to a title, but there will be some intrigue in other areas. Let's go into the news ahead of Mr. Ross Dunbar. The UEFA Champions League results, a couple of notable ones. PSG and Real Madrid, you thought, okay, firepower, firepower, firepower. Zlatan, Cavani, obviously um, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Gareth Bale, all of those things being brought to the table by Real Madrid and PSG, and they played to a goalless draw. No goals. So a draw there, one point each for those two sides. CSKA Moscow playing to a draw with Manchester United. Juventus playing to a goalless draw with Gladbach. Manchester City did get a win, 2-1 over Sevilla. The big talking point out of that, not necessarily anything that happened on the field, but the fact that UEFA is investigating Manchester City fans for booing the Champions League anthem. What? What? And you know what's interesting about that is I saw that news this morning. I was astounded by it. And then I spent my morning catching up on news, seeing beha- bad behavior from fans all over Europe uh, during this Champions League round. So hopefully UEFA is also going to crack down on actual bad things, not booing a song. Grant Wall reports that NYCFC is considering firing Jason Christ after one season and replacing him with Patrick Vieira. Of course, Vieira, legendary playing career. He's been a coach of the youth and reserve teams at Manchester City. Since 2011, uh, how how close we are to this change actually being made is not yet clear. But if you go read, uh, you go read uh, Grant Wall's item over at SI.com, you'll see that um, there's some talk about the results not being good enough from a Manchester City perspective. Multiple sources connected to Manchester City and NYCFC say his job is in real danger. It's not a done deal yet, but all signs supporting to his replacement being Patrick Vieira. Uh, NYCFC obviously missed the playoffs this year. They had high hopes. Uh, and, uh, and Vieira is a guy that Manchester City has been grooming for quite some time to step into a bigger role within their organization. Oh, we happen to have NYCFC over here. Maybe that's a landing place. Uh, I think that's un- unfair and a little harsh on Jason Christ. although there are a lot of questions of the, as to whether or not NYCFC is ultimately a good fit for him. And there will be jobs open in MLS. There, in fact, there is one in Chicago. Chicago landing Jason Christ would be a major coup and perhaps the right step for both of those parties. The, <coughs> excuse me. Speaking of MLS, the Colorado Rapids won 2-0 at Sporting Park last night to throw the Western Conference playoff picture into a bit of turmoil. Uh, first time in 13 years that Colorado has won at Kansas City. 
Colorado finishing last in the Western Conference. There's zero chance they're going to move beyond 10th place. So for them to walk in to Sporting Park with Sporting on the verge of locking in their playoff position. Sporting, if Sporting had won that game, they would, be, uh, they would be in the playoffs. They wouldn't have to wait until the final day. But alas, they couldn't get the job done. Uh, you had Dylan Powers scoring in the 77th minute and Marcelo Sarvis in the 86th. Alex Morgan, this is another report from Grant Wall at Sports Illustrated, is being traded from the Portland Thorns to the Orlando Pride, the new NWSL team launching in Central Florida. A blockbuster of a trade, no doubt. In return for Morgan and Canadian national teamer Kalen Kyle, Portland is set to receive Orlando's first pick in the NWSL draft. Two international slots. U.S. national team fullback Megan Klingenberg, uh, who is expected not expected to be protected uh, by the Houston Dash. You can only protect two players in the expansion draft. And likely Lindsey Horan uh, as the first new allocation coming in from overseas if Horan decides to join the NWSL, she's currently with PSG in France. So, big trade. A lot of the uh, reports are that Alex Morgan requested this trade so that she could be in the same town as her husband, Servando Carrasco, who plays for Orlando City Soccer Club. CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals are now set after Wednesday, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night's matches. The LA Galaxy got a 1-1 draw with Comunicaciones. Uh, Mexican teams, MLS teams, and nobody else. Your matchups, Club America versus the Seattle Sounders. That's the highest seed in the tournament left, or the highest seed in the tournament, excuse me, in the quarterfinals. Club America, defending champions, against the lowest MLS seed, Seattle Sounders. D.C. United versus Carretero. RSL, who qualified by virtue of their win on Tuesday night against Tigres. And Santos Laguna against the L.A. Galaxy. Big-time matchups, a new test for MLS, certainly as they get the maximum number of teams into the quarterfinals, but do have real challenges against all of these richer, uh, more successful Spanish, or sorry, Mexican clubs, excuse me, in this competition. Wonder, saw this from our friend Charlie Bohm on Twitter, wonder if MLS might goose things a little bit, help those teams get their quality level up ahead of the knockout rounds early next year. Ex-Mexico national team manager Miguel Herrera has told ESPN Deportes' Raza Deportiva, that he is absolutely open to the U.S. men's national team job and MLS job offers. Miguel Herrera obviously fired by Mexico after that incident in which he punched a reporter at the airport in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, he would bring certainly bring something to the table, although at this point it's unclear and unlikely that uh, U.S. soccer would make a change at the head coaching position. Uh, Herrera, uh, out of a job at the moment, he said, when you don't have a job, you have to listen to job offers. And if the United States is one and I don't have a job, without a doubt, I will listen. Now, let's, the context is clearly jobless guy saying, of course, I'm going to consider some jobs. Uh, maybe not a lot to this, uh, but he certainly is a big name in North American uh, coaching uh, ranks, in the coaching ranks of North America, and would be an interesting choice for numerous teams, including the U.S. men's national team. And MLS, he had previously been connected uh, with the Chicago Fire job, which, as we know, is open with Brian Bliss serving as an interim head coach uh, in Chicago to finish out the season. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll grab Russ Dunbar. We'll talk about German football, Champions League action, Bayern Munich losing to Arsenal. Bit of a surprise there. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com.
During the past few months, we've created a new weekend tradition, which includes watching your favorite MLS team play on TV, muting the broadcast, heading over to Rabble.TV to hear my audio during the game, and then drinking a cold beverage as we spend 90 minutes together discussing our favorite league. For this Sunday, I'd like to personally invite you to join me and Jared Dubois as we bring you the final day of the MLS regular season. From 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern, Jared and I will be talking through the DC United against Columbus Crew finale, but we'll also be keeping a close eye on all of the other games where we'll be updating you on the key developments as they happen. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the DC United against Crew game on TV, press the mute button, and head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS, Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before and during the games, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And why don't you create your own broadcast call one of your team's games? It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me and Jared this Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern at Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Thursday. Thursday means at this time of year that we've got Champions League to talk about. We'll certainly talk about the Bundesliga as well with our friend Ross Dunbar. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Dunbar 93 Covers the Bundesliga for Fox Sports and DW Sports. Uh, hi, Ross. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, Jason. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. All right, let's uh, let's talk let's talk Champions League first. I mean, uh, we all know that as soon as the, the the conventional wisdom turns one direction, we're always bound for a surprise. And uh, certainly, the events of the Emirates um, the other day were something of a surprise. Bayern Munich, uh, unstoppable in most people's minds, certainly running away with the uh, Bundesliga already, and they end up losing two nothing to a very organized Arsenal team. Now it took some. It took some go- some great goalkeeping on the Arsenal end from Petr Cech, and it took some bad goalkeeping from Manuel Neuer, which we didn't expect. But what does that result mean? For Bayern, um, I'm not really sure it means a lot. I mean, I think I think it's, it's an obvious wake-up call um, because they obviously are, are so dominant in the Bundesliga, but when they play against teams uh, who maybe have the tactical nows like Arsenal, and of course Arsenal have got world-class players, you know, I think, that's stating the obvious, Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez. So they're not up against your run-of-the-mill kind of Bundesliga players. I mean, I think I think regardless of what happens uh, at the moment, I think Guardiola, his legacy will be judged on what happens towards the tail end of the season. I mean, he himself, um, you know, has said in his in his great book Pip Confidential that titles are won in the first three months of the season, and then they're won in the last three months of the season. And I think now we've kind of got to the stage where Bayern will drop some points in Europe and and in the league, but what happens uh, when you know they're fifteen points clear in the Bundesliga? Can they handle the intensity of the Champions League when we get to the quarterfinals and the semi-finals? And, and of course, you know I think it kind of showed you that when you're up against teams of that kind of quality like Arsenal, that maybe Bayern are not as complete as what we well, expected. It's so interesting to me, Ross. There's two these two competing ideas when it comes to the Champions League. One is that the English clubs are too battered by the competition in the Premier League. That that the the quality, the overall from top to bottom quality of the Premier League makes it tough for English clubs to go. Or 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 certainly things are spread out more in the in the Premier League. 
uh, makes it tougher for them to go into Europe and compete, and that's why we're seeing some English clubs fail. But then on the other end, it's, well, Bayern's not tested in Germany enough to go into Europe and then show that same sort of quality we expect to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they are tested. I'm just not sure whether the teams have the, you know, the requisite quality to really take advantage of it. I mean, Arsenal had two or three really good chances um, against Bayern, two or three best chances of the match, and they took them. I mean, I was at Darmstadt a couple of weeks ago when they played Bayern, and they had two or three very, very good chances, and they didn't take them. And ultimately, that's what football boils down to, whether you can take your chances and whether, and, you, know, whether you can't. Um, it's a good point, though, what you make about the English, the English clubs you know, being burnt out towards the end of the season. I think you see the contrast almost with Spain because the, the Spanish teams tend to do really well in Europe um, at that end of the season because the league is still quite competitive. I mean, that, that, that at least is the theory, but it'd be interesting to see whether Bayern can actually maintain that because you know, we've seen in the last two seasons Bayern have fallen at the last hurdle. Not necessarily because they were not good enough. I think maybe Guardiola made a couple of... Um, couple of adjustments to the team that maybe didn't work out as, as you would have expected but still that kind of sharpness and that kind of momentum I think is really important at that end of the season. Well, Bayern Munich top of group F alongside Olympiacos big difference in, in, in goal differential so everything's going to be fine for Bayern Munich despite going to Arsenal and losing and now what, what the question will be is whether Arsenal can turn that into something that's a different discussion for a different day. Elsewhere, um, elsewhere in the Champions League, obviously several of the German teams competing. That 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 four four thriller, Leverkusen and, and Roma. Um, just give me a sense of, of what we saw there. Certainly, uh, certainly a lot of focus on Chicharito Hernandez. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is kind of textbook by Leverkusen under Roger Schmidt. I mean, they started, you know, really intense the first twenty minutes. You know, high octane football. Uh, Chicharito obviously scored uh, the first two goals. And then the tempo kind of dropped around the half hour mark, and Roma started to come back into it. They scored two very scrappy goals, and in between that, Chicharito had a really good chance to make it 3 1. And yeah, I mean, if that had gone in, maybe that would have changed the game, but ultimately it was 2 2. Uh, Pjanic, who was absolutely magnificent, scored a great free kick in the second half. Then, you know, it was 4 2 after that. And then in the last 20 minutes, Leverkusen somehow managed to find the same tempo that they did in the first 20 minutes. Uh, they brought on Julian Brandt and Admir McMeady, their two super subs almost, and uh, they scored two late goals. Kevin Campbell, former Borussia Dortmund player, who didn't do really well at Dortmund, but he scored an absolutely spectacular goal to make it 4-3, and then he was involved in the in the goal to make it 4 each. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly what you expect of Leverkusen, and I think I mean, I know that when we talked at the start of the season, I tipped them to be the second force in the league this year, but it's really frustrating that they can't maintain that for even 60 minutes, 70 minutes in a game because I think they would they would be really, really strong in the Champions League and in the Bundesliga. Speaking of, of uh, so let's move on from Leverkusen. Apologies. My brain's already moving to Gladbach here. Uh, <clears throat> you mentioned before we came on the air, certainly we've seen a turnaround in Gladbach's fortune so far, but they did... Uh, and they they they've got a a goalless draw with Juve in the Champions League. A good point for for Gladbach in that game. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic result. I mean, uh, I know that Juventus um, obviously are are struggling to cope with the players that they lost in the summer, and I think they're what nine points off the top of Serie A. So, I mean, you can look at that and say, okay, maybe Gladbach could have could have done more. But when you think about it, I mean, Gladbach are still in a little bit of a transition themselves because. Um, the, the departure of Lucien Favre was quite sudden and quite unexpected 
And, you know, Max Eberl, the sporting director, did say that they didn't really have a plan B for that kind of situation. They were bottom of the league, they hadn't won in their first five games, and, you know, they'd lost their first two Champions League games, and, and it kind of looked as if this was going to be a tough season. But since Andre Schubert has come in, he was the under-23 coach, they have been fantastic. They have really... They've really changed from a, a stubborn defensive unit to a team that actually is scoring a lot of goals. Um, you know, they beat Stuttgart 3-1, they beat Augsburg 4-2, um, and um, yeah, they beat Frankfurt 5-1 on, on, on Saturday. So mm. it's, it's a remarkable change and obviously, you know, 100% record and they've carried that into the Champions League where they show a different side. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how they progress and, and of course, there's um, American interest with, with Fabian Johnson who... Um, is now back from injury and now is, is, is part of the part of the fold. Yeah, we're uh, I'll come to to Johnson here in a minute. As you said, you're going to be interested to see how they progress. Three matches, one point. Um, the likelihood they get out of that group. I mean, with uh, you know, with with three matches to go in the group stage. I think it's very unlikely. I don't think many people would have expected Gladbach to progress anyway. I mean, Juventus, Man City, and Sevilla is essentially a group of death by the definition, and. Uh, I mean, if they can, if they can, you know, turn that 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 kind of optimism from getting into the Champions League into their league form, then I think they will hope that they can at least qualify for Europe again next season. Gladbach currently sitting tenth in the Bundesliga table on the rise. Uh, Fabian Johnson. Okay, so Fabian Johnson, obviously part of the U.S. Men's National Team, comes out of that match. The United States lost to Mexico in the Concacaf Cup. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, ahead of a friendly against Costa Rica, decides to go public with a rebuke of Johnson, saying Johnson asked off um, in that game against Mexico uh, somewhere ahead of the 120, uh, 120th minute and extra time. H- indications were from Klinsman he didn't believe Johnson was injured. Johnson goes back to Germany. He sends him home. I mean, uh, he, he could have played in that friendly or at least been with the team. Klinsman sends him home, tells the press that Johnson's got to rethink his, uh, his approach to the team. Then Gladbach tweets, and I, I don't know if they did this in any other form, but they certainly tweeted that Johnson had returned and he was being treated for a thigh injury. That seemed to be, well, Klinsman's wrong. It, it, certainly Johnson is injured, but then he's played 90 minutes every game since. So what are we supposed to make of that? I, I really don't know, and I'm like yourself. I'm a, bit, I'm a bit kind of confused at this situation. I mean, I saw the game against Mexico, and it was incredible intensity I've not, I, I really was surprised at how intense that game was and and I can understand maybe if a player you know maybe maybe was a bit tired maybe he picked up a little strain somewhere but it was the it was you know the, the public reboot from from Klinsman that really I think uh, caught everyone's attention I mean to then go back to the mention Gladbach and then for them to say publicly that he's training it's a very bizarre situation I mean I, I don't really know what what's going on there but um, as you say, he's, you know he's, he's come back and he's played every game since, and he's a really important part of that team. You know, I said that they had changed from a defensive side to a very, you know, kind of proactive attacking team, and with someone like Fabian Johnson, that's the perfect environment for him because he's so quick. You know, he plays on the left-hand side of the attack, and and that is the perfect environment for him to really show Klinsmann what he can do. Yeah, I feel as though uh, Johnson's one of the, certainly one of those players much better going forward um, than, than sitting back. Of course, he, he is he has played um, at right back for the United States. He's played in the midfield. The way Gladbach use him, how how is that? Does that differ from the way the Klinsman does? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, from 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 what I've seen, I mean, what I saw certainly against Mexico, you, you know, the Americans tend to play a quite a conventional four four two formation mm-hmm. uh, with Dempsey and Altdor up front, and then you have the two wide men and and, and that kind of setup. 
with Gladbach, um, it's quite fluid. I mean, what we've seen uh, under Andre Schubert is that when they lose the ball, they swarm towards the man in possession. I mean, they literally will crowd him as much as they can. So central midfielders, strikers, you know, they will all pack into that little space. And so um, I think in, in that respect, he is still being tested defensively, but in a different kind of context. You know, he's having to defend higher up the pitch. He's playing kind of left side of a, a kind of 4-3-3 formation. And so he is really, almost like what says an out-and-out striker, but he is kind of like a left striker, a left forward, which is quite interesting because, you know, we've seen him play as far back as left back, of course. Mm. So, uh, But as, as I said, I think that's the perfect environment for him to really get some confidence, get some momentum in his game and, you would think that would be a good thing for the U.S. national team, but after what's happened the last week, we don't really know what's yeah, happening. Yeah, we, we don't know his status. We don't know when he'll be called back in. The U.S. goes into World Cup qualifying uh, those FIFA dates in November, but they're also they're they're against those games are against minnows, uh, relatively speaking. So we'll see what Klinsman does in terms of. And maybe this isn't a maybe this isn't a German football cultural thing. Maybe it's about Gladbach. Maybe it's just. But do you? Do you imagine that there's any chance at all Gladbach was protecting their player in light of the public rebuke, or is this? Are we just? Should we just assume that they were being completely honest about his status? Mm, that's a good. That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I would. Yeah, I would imagine that it is. That it is kind of um, maybe perhaps is that kind of uh, protection of them in, in some respect. I mean, you touched on the cultural element. I think you know when. You know, you kind of have like the kind of British culture here. You know, if, if someone talks negatively about your player, you automatically defend him whether he's right or wrong. You know, and, and I would imagine that there was an element to that. And it, I wonder how much Gladbach kept their finger on the pulse, though, um, because, I mean, a lot of this stuff was American media only. So they've had to have really kind of found that out in some respect. But, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's, it's just a really bizarre situation. And you touched on obviously the qualifiers coming up. I mean, if Fabian Johnson can maintain the kind of form that he's in at the moment, I think Klinsman would have a bit of a problem not calling him up. Yeah, well, Klinsman's issue seems to be figuring out where to where where to use these players. I mean, Johnson's versatile, and I actually think that that's sometimes a problem, particularly for somebody who seems as uncommitted to one setup and one lineup like Jurgen Klinsman. Um, let me let me move briefly since we're talking about this. We're talking about Gladbach. Uh, they did do, you know, they did tweet this both on their German Twitter feed and on their English Twitter feed. And the fact that Gladbach has an English Twitter feed, I imagine, is not entirely unique. But is there, uh, sir, it, it, you think, is Gladbach more tuned in to that element and maybe the Americans paying attention than most clubs because they have Johnson, or is that something German clubs in general are trying to do? Certainly, I know Bayern Munich's been making a lot of effort in the American market. Yeah, so so how how a lot of these Twitter accounts work? There are kind of marketing companies who will take charge of their English Twitter accounts, and so a lot of these clubs don't actually operate them, you know, within the club, within the the actual media department. It's normally outsourced. Now I don't really know a hundred percent what's happening with 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 Gladbach there, but they were, as far as I know and as far as I can remember, they were one of the first clubs to have an English Twitter account. Certainly they had one before Bayern, I think, and so that maybe tells you that they are in tune with their international audience. And of course, German clubs, are re- they are really trying to you know, make that transition from just German language output to the international element, which essentially will be English content for for a North American and British audience. So. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And with, and with the with the Bundesliga games getting a higher profile stage here with Fox Soccer, imagine that's a, a new emphasis, uh, certainly for some of the be- bigger, better clubs in Germany. All right. Let's uh, speaking of bigger, better clubs. Let's talk about Wolfsburg. They're in the Champions League as well. Two nothing winners over PSV. Saw some highlights. Obviously, a, a very good win for Wolfsburg. 
Yeah, it was. I mean, um, the 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 ironically a kind of better setup for the Champions League, I think, without Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is a fantastic player, outstanding player, and he was the record uh, assist uh, maker in the, in the Bundesliga last season. But I think in the Champions League with Julian Draxler, they're a lot more controlled. You know, De Bruyne was a lot more explosive, and he had the pace and. He was very dynamic, but Draxler, Draxler's a little bit more about possession, making sure you secure the possession, and I think that's quite a, a shrewd move for the Champions League, and especially against Manchester United. I thought they were very unlucky not to take something out of that game, um, and we've seen it in the last the last uh, few games that Draxler has been you know, setting up goals from wide areas, little crosses into Bas Dost, and Max Cruz as well, four goals in two games. They are not the quickest and the most mobile of teams, but... They have a little bit of um, yeah, a little bit of control in their in their play, and I think I would like to expect that that would serve them well in the in the Champions League. Maybe not so in the Bundesliga because we see that the Bundesliga quite often is is more of a an explosive counter attacking league. Uh, certainly, uh, things are working out for Wolfsburg in the Champions League as well. With Manchester United going to Moscow, getting a draw, having lost already to PSV, so it it, it with them top of the group right now. I imagine they have to feel pretty good. Yeah, I mean, they would they would expect to qualify, I would imagine, in second place. Um, I mean, no disrespect to PSV and to CSK Moscow, but I would imagine that Wolfsburg's budget would, would dwarf both of those clubs. Um, whether they can progress uh, into the, to the last 16 or to the quarterfinals, it remains to be seen. I mean, what's interesting about Wolfsburg, um, obviously, this is a club that is bankrolled by Volkswagen. It is essentially a company club, and so... Uh, they have moved uh, shift times for their workers in, 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 in Volkswagen so that Volkswagen employees can actually go to the games. This is why when Wolfsburg play on a, on a, on a, in a midweek game, their attendances are terrible because most of the people who go to watch Wolfsburg are actually Volkswagen employees. So they have to almost change their shift times so that they can get to Champions League games, which yeah. I think is quite interesting. Very fascinating. And certainly we know that... Uh you know, Volkswagen's been hit with a, a lot in the news uh, recently. We, you and I have talked a little bit about that. I don't ma- imagine it's going to manifest directly on the field anytime soon. And is, is there any, I mean, they're committed. Uh, Volkswagen's committed to Wolfsburg, the, as you said, the company town. So I, I don't imagine, uh, uh, it, no matter what happens to, to yeah, Volkswagen's I mean, business, as long as they're not going out of business or taking a drastic step back in terms of the revenue, then things should be fine at the club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've said publicly that they're trying to examine every situation, but I mean, that's just corporate talk. I don't think they're gonna they're gonna pull the plug on Wolfsburg. It would be really embarrassing for them. And as we spoke about before, I mean, Volkswagen have a massive interest in German football. I mean, they you know have twelve out of eighteen Bundesliga clubs uh, on their portfolio. They have five or six second league clubs who are sponsored by them. They sponsor the DFB. They sponsor the DFB Pokal. So, I mean, really, it's not really an option for them to pull out because I think that would hurt German football quite seriously and not just uh, VfL Wolfsburg. Mm, okay. Uh, let's, let's turn to the league. I'm looking at, uh, looking at the fixture list uh, for this coming weekend. Uh, I'm not sure anything jumps out at me directly, but, of course, you're the man to talk to. Maybe Gladbach, Schalke, certainly interesting on Sunday. We know Dortmund is in second place and has, uh, has turned their ship around from, from last year. Uh, Jurgen Klopp has moved into a managerial position. I, I imagine you know Dortmund's trying to to move on and, and continue their whatever challenge they can uh, put up against Bayern Munich. Yeah, I mean if, if Dortmund if Dortmund can finish second this year and have a good run in the Europa League, I think they'll be pretty happy with that. Um, I mean the most important thing is getting back into the Champions League because 
I mean, a club like Dortmund, with the resources that they have and the stature that they have, really cannot afford to not be in the Champions League every season because that would just that would blow the whole uh, the whole gap between them and Bayern wide open. You mentioned Gladbach Schalke. I mean, I think that definitely for me is the game of the weekend. Four four wins out of four for Gladbach and Schalke, who are surprisingly very good this year. They've got a great core of players, lots of young, exciting talents. I mean, if I was recommending a team for anyone to watch in the Bundesliga this season, I would definitely. See Schalke ticks ticks all the boxes. Mm. Uh, there you go. I, I I don't know if you mentioned this. You may have breezed by it. Uh, Brian Blickenstaff, uh, one of our German-based uh, friends, says that uh, that uh, uh, Volkswagen has pulled out of the German Cup sponsorship. Is that true? Uh, I'm, I'm not aware of that. Maybe maybe okay. he's right. I mean, he's, he's he's very he's got his ear on the ground as well. So maybe he knows. Okay, we'll we'll find that out. I mean, look, that's and that's obviously the German Cup an important competition, but yeah. in relative terms, probably not as big as sponsoring all of these clubs and having Wolfsburg mm. be the company club. All right, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the Europa League. You said uh, you know Dortmund would like to have a good run in the Europa League. Of course, they're going to take it seriously, especially considering the downslide that they went on last year. Uh, they've got, and, and Trevor would know where this club's from. I have no idea. FK Kabbalah? Where is FK Kabbalah from? Uh, they're from Azerbaijan. Okay. So it was a really, so it was a really interesting kind of, subplot to this game, Dortmund have left Henrik Mkhitaryan behind because he, of course, is an Armenian citizen, ah. and uh, he's done some charity work in a disputed region. Uh, the name completely passed me by, but there's a disputed region that's uh, controlled by uh, ethnic Armenian forces, but is actually in the middle of Azerbaijan, and they had a war up until 1994, and uh, so, yeah, Dortmund have left Mkhitaryan behind for security reasons, which is, is quite interesting. That, that is very interesting. I, 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 I'm, politics obviously rears its head occasionally, especially in European competitions, a lot of times with Israeli teams, but I didn't realize there was uh, a player being left behind by Dortmund. How does that, I mean, you know, they expect to win this game, certainly, but going away to Azerbaijan cannot be, uh, cannot be an easy trip. No, I mean, I think I think they, they still would expect to win. I mean, they obviously got a draw in Greece uh, a couple weeks ago, and they struggled at home to Kuban Krasnodar. Uh, but they both they, they in both games they fielded kind of weak inside. I would expect them to to field a full strength team tomorrow. Uh, sorry, tonight. And um, yeah, I mean, I think what constitutes a, a successful season for Dortmund in the Europa League is probably to reach the the quarters or the semi-finals, because as we know, the Europa League. Is almost split into two. I mean, the first half of the year you have the kind of poorer teams who finish third or fourth in the respective leagues, and then after Christmas you have the influx of Champions League teams, and that almost kind of turns the competition upside down. So it'll be interesting to see how they compete against uh, you know more established and, and and better quality opposition in the second half of the season. We're not quite uh, to the the one third through the season in the Bundesliga or most European leagues at this point, but we. We do start to look around and say, okay, well, h- how does the way the table look now? How's that going to change over time? And I- I'm, I'm looking, I'm always focused on the teams in the relegation zone, Ross, and it's Werder Bremen, Hoffenheim, and Augsburg. Uh, I, maybe I, my perception's wrong, but I, I would imagine that Werder Bremen and, and Hoffenheim being down there at the moment, a bit of a surprise. Yeah, well, I mean, what's interesting about all three of those teams is that they were competing for Europe at the end of last season. And uh, I thought uh, Hoffenheim especially would have been competing for Europe again this year. They made some great signings. They brought in Eduardo Vargas from, uh, I think, from Queen's Park Rangers. He was at, and they brought in uh, um, Fabien Schaar from Basel, really good defender. So, I mean, I- I'm really surprised that they are so far down. I mean, I've seen a little bit of Bremen, and I'm a little bit concerned for them at the moment. They aren't scoring goals. 
they're leaking a lot of goals and a lot of the players seem bereft of confidence, which is almost like it was under Thomas Schaaf a few years ago. They, they were in a sort of downward spiral and I'd be a little bit worried about them and you could probably expect a change in manager at either Hoffenheim or Bremen in the next few weeks, depending on which club gets out and which club doesn't. I think there'll be a change of manager there, there quite soon. With Augsburg, maybe they, they are quite realistic. If they stay up, I think they'll be happy. Uh, Marcus Weinzel has you know, done a great job there. I don't think his job is in any danger at all. All right, now can we come to the selfish portion of uh, of the the chat, uh, Ross, in which I ask you about only Americans in Germany because that's uh, a big deal for us. Obviously, I- I'm going to start with one I haven't thought about in a while, and it says a lot that I haven't thought about him. And uh, coming into the year, questions over what his next step would be after the the poor loan last year, and it- it's Julian Green. I don't know that we're we've heard anything because, as far as I know, he's still just playing for the Bayern reserves. Yeah, I mean that's that's the latest that I know about about Julian Green is that he was in the Bayern reserve team. I mean I don't I don't keep my finger on the pulse with the sure. reserve side, yeah. uh, but I mean I can imagine that's a bit of a concern for certainly people who are involved in youth development with the U.S. national team and whatever that a player of that kind of talent maybe is not maybe is maybe not living up to that kind of potential. The loan spell at Hamburg last year was just a bit of a disaster because yeah. he didn't. He didn't play at all. So um, maybe something comes up after the winter break, but I, I, mean, I certainly hope so. I mean, the, the kid's talented. It seems like he either got some bad direction or his head got a little big for him and uh, did not. Uh, and, and look, uh, you know, when you send a player like that on loan, a young player, and we've talked about the hazards of doing that, uh, especially at a club like Hamburg, which is in the Bundesliga. I mean, it's not as though they were the second division. Um, and maybe had some freedom to play some younger guys. You you go with the ones that you want, uh, that you trust, and maybe they didn't trust uh, Julian Green. Certainly, all right. John Brooks at, at Hertha Berlin, um, a player that Klinsmann has clearly identified as his center, one of his center backs of the future. I imagine that barring a disaster, John Brooks is going to be a starter for the United States in Russia in a couple of years' time. Is he uh, is he still on that path that that puts him? Uh, in, in a place where he can become that that consistent quality international player, you know, quality international or quality player for Hertha. Um, I would like to think so, but I mean, I've seen a few games this season with Hertha, and he's not played. So, I mean, I don't know if he's really first choice anymore at Hertha. I think he's kind of like maybe third choice out of four and a half, possibly. Um, it's disappointing because I mean, when he when he when he was playing regularly at Hertha, I think the season before last, I mean, he was very impressive, and he's definitely got the raw qualities to be a really good centre-half at international level um, I just worry that maybe um, yeah I just worry that maybe he's not being consistent enough at Hertha and with you know the current coach Paul Dardai they have found a really good streak of form uh, up, I mean, up until last week they were fourth in the Bundesliga so I mean I, I worry that maybe uh, he's going to find it difficult to get back into that team and I wonder maybe if in January if he gets maybe an opportunity to move whether he would whether he would consider that you know, I breezed by uh, talking about we talked about Bremen a little bit, Werder Bremen a little bit, and I breezed by Aaron Johansson. He he uh, was injured, missed the the last couple of internationals for the United States. I don't know what his prognosis is right now, but from what you've seen so far, has he been able to to bet in, or are we still wa- watching a an adjustment period for uh, for Johansson? Yeah, I think I think we're still waiting on that kind of adjustment period for him. Um, he's playing up front with Anthony Uja, so Anthony Uja is more kind of powerful, more kind of orthodox centre forward, and Johansson seems to be more kind of link up play, you know, playing in and around the box, which maybe won't kind of convert to goals. But um, I think Bremen have got a couple of problems. I mean, defensively they're pretty poor. 
They lack a player in midfield who can take control of a game. Um, so really, I think Johansson's form is really going to be affected by what happens elsewhere in the team. But I mean, you know, at the end of the day, he's still young. It's a learning experience for him. I mean, you could score, you know, 50 goals in the Eredivisie, but if you play in the Bundesliga 40, 30 games and you're playing really competitive football, then you would imagine that in the long term, that would be good for his development, regardless of kind of how the season pans out. But um, he doesn't seem to be creating, creating a lot of chances, doesn't seem to be scoring a lot of goals. So, uh, so far, I'd have to give it maybe a 5 out of 10 for, for Janssen. A couple of uh, two other players in the top division worth mentioning. One, uh, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Timmy Chandler, not the favorite uh, fullback for most American fans, but he, he always seemed to be better in, in the Bundesliga than he has been for the national team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he always had a, a lot of potential at Nuremberg, went to Frankfurt. Um, he did get into Thomas Shastin quite a lot in the first kind of few months that he was there, but um, since the start of the season, he's been second fiddle at right back. Uh, Ignioski uh, is the first choice right back. Uh, he's doing pretty well there, and uh, from what I believe, there's still some injuries with Timmy Chandler, so. Um, I'm not really optimistic that he's going to break into that team. So I'm sorry if I'm being really negative. No, it's, it's, players, but, it's, it's uh, a state yeah. of things. It's, unfortunately, the whole program stuff suffering. Some of the players are suffering. Certainly, Klinsman's uh, regular rhetoric about wanting players to be in Europe. Uh, it, it's it's rough when the ones that are there aren't getting playing. Now it see it looks to me, and I'm just checking up here on the stats. It looks to me like Alfredo Morales is getting some time at Ingolstadt, though. Yeah, yeah, he's playing. He's playing regularly, and I noted in one of my match reports that uh, he has missed something like two or three games in the last two years for Ingolstadt. He's been very consistent, and I had a look at him when uh, they were playing at Stuttgart uh, on on Sunday. They lost one nil, but they were the better side. And what I like about Morales is that he, you know he has really tireless energy. I mean, he really goes about that pitch and breaks up play. Now, I don't know if I'm the, the U.S. national team needs somebody who can do that because, you know, I think you would probably imagine that they would need somebody who can cut open defences rather than actually, you know, break up the you know opposition attacks. But uh, so far, I think he's done well. Ingolstadt have done really well this season, tactically very astute, uh, and I think they'll probably survive. So that's good news for Morales if he has another another season in the Bundesliga. Yeah, absolutely. Coming up and uh, right now sitting in eighth place after nine, that's not too bad for Ingolstadt. Um, Morales is one of the many options Klinsman seems to have at that destroyer defensive midfield position, and he has yet to really settle on the next guy. I mean, it's been Gal Beckerman. It's been a, anyway, this is all issues within the U.S. national team, but I, <laughs> I know I just saw a piece somebody wrote. Uh, I don't have the name in front of me talking about how one of the problems was that Klinsman can't seem to identify that guy. Maybe it's Morales. So certainly if he if he's playing well, the Bundesliga, he makes a case for himself. Ross Dunbar covering German football, joining us on Soccer Morning. Go follow him on Twitter at Ross Dunbar 93. Uh, Ross, appreciate it. Fantastic as always. Um, uh, hope we uh, get to talk to you soon. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me again, guys. Cheers. There goes Ross. Dunbar. Great stuff from Ross. Love talking to him. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll t- open up the phone lines, talk to you on a Thursday at Soccer Morning, worldsoccertalk.com. During the past few months, we've created a new weekend tradition, which includes watching your favorite MLS team play on TV, muting the broadcast, heading over to Rabble.tv to hear my audio during the game, and then drinking a cold beverage as we spend 90 minutes together discussing our favorite league. For this Sunday, I'd like to personally invite you to join me and Jared Dubois as we bring you the final day of the MLS regular season. 
From 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern, Jared and I will be talking through the DC United against Columbus Crew finale. We'll also be keeping a close eye on all of the other games where we'll be updating you on the key developments as they happen. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the DC United against Crew game on TV, press the mute button, and head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS, Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before and during the games, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And why don't you create your own broadcast, call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join me and Jared this Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern at Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. Phone lines wide open. 646-832-3909. Let me say that one more time just in case you need to write it down. 646-832-3909. Give me a call. Whatever's on your mind on a Thursday. Again, Champions League. Interesting stuff. Lots of draws yesterday. Didn't seem to be the most thrilling day of Champions League action. We did also have, again, some negative stuff coming out from the European action. Um, the the whole, okay, Manchester City fans booing the anthem and that being a re- reportedly being re- investigated by UEFA. That's a farce. That's ridiculous. We know that. Who cares? I'm not, I'm not even that big of a fan of the song, so maybe I kind of understand why you're booing it. I mean, I don't know why they're booing it. Whatever. It doesn't matter. There's a right to boo a song that has nothing to do with anything. It's not it's not an anthem. You're not you're not disrespecting a group of people when you boo an anthem. But I also saw some videos this morning. Manchester City fans and Sevilla fans maybe or somebody Sevilla fans going at it with some throwing chairs like like going like a, like what? Like crazy throw chair throwing. Insane stuff. Then there was an incident at Ky- in Kiev. Really ugly stuff in the stands with Dynamo Kiev where their, some of their fans were going after a couple of black Kiev fans. Uh, what is happening? I mean, uh, maybe UEFA is going to address this. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're not. Certainly Kiev should address it. Certainly that should not happen. There's no, there's no excuse for any of that. We know, we, we know that there are some nationalistic, racist elements in the political scene in Eastern Europe and in Western Europe, for that matter. And uh, while we are dealing with our own stuff here in the United States, it doesn't mean we can't point a finger and say, that's what the hell is happening there. Let's go to our friend Richard in Philly. Hey, Richard. Hey, Jason. How you doing? Doing well. What's on your mind? Uh, the NWSL trace from last night. Yeah? I, they, why are they so confusing? Why are what now? The trade's so confusing? <laughs> yeah. I, like, don't I, like, I understand it's a totally different league and it's a totally different kind of status and but the fact that we can say we can a uh, player, granted, they're and what they are, they all technically the designated players of that league. Sure, can say my husband lives here, so I want to go here. <sighs> okay, is, I, is weird. No, I don't. Th- I don't think a, it's. I don't think that part's that weird, Richard. I, I, look, players make requests of their teams for personal reasons all the time. You just might not hear about it. It might not be as high profile as. Alex Morgan, who was married to a professional player, asking to be relocated because of her husband. I mean, we've already know. I, I interviewed uh, Sydney Larue not that long ago. She and Dom want to play in the same city. 
They want to figure that out. Yeah. They're going to work. You yeah. know, somebody will put some pressure somewhere. And look, if you were a normal, if, if Alex Morgan was a normal person, not a professional soccer player, not a, a star of the women's national team, she could up and move. She could say, I'm done in this city. I'd like to go live in this city. And nobody would bat an eye. So why is it different if she requests to be moved? I mean, as long as, as long I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think that this is consideration and it's part of the deal. And, and athletes are sometimes locked into things that, that aren't really in their best interest and, and they should have the freedom to, to, to move. Yeah, and that's true. I'm not. Mad, I'm not really mad at that part. The part that got me the more was further on was Megan Klingberg is that she's she's being traded to Portland, right? But you know, she played in Houston. Yeah. And then after that, but then I read after that is that she's being thrown into the expansion draft to go mm-hmm. to Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I kept going, but where's Houston getting out of all this? And how is she going to be part of the trade to from Portland from going to Orlando when? And and then how is she being thrown into the expansion draft? Okay. I don't know if she was part of the uh, waiver right. draft that came out yesterday. No, it's not. It's, I don't think it's the waiver. It's, the, it's definitely not being waived. It's the expansion draft. Yeah. I think. I think what I'm uh, and look, my understanding isn't perfect, so I'm going to try to walk this out with you. My understanding is that they each each NWSL team can only protect two players, <clears throat> two players for the expansion draft that is meant to help Orlando fill out their roster. So, yeah. It's essentially, what, what I guess we're working with here is that Houston was not going to protect Megan Klingenberg. They've got other players they're going to protect. So that means she would have been drafted, right? Orlando was going to draft her, essentially. So this is just preemptive. It's odd that this trade is happening now and not after Megan Klingenberg is, is drafted by Orlando. But uh, maybe they just don't want to go through this whole circuitous thing where Megan Klingenberg is a Houston player, now she's an Orlando player, now she's a Portland player. I, I, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Go ahead. And I, I said on Twitter that this is more confusing than the way MLS tries to explain the draft. Well, okay. <laughs> Obviously, NWSL is operating in a very unique environment. And that, that environment being the, the very health of the league turns on every move they make. And, and they, they have to look at big picture. This isn't individual teams necessarily looking out just for themselves. NWSL has to be together as a unit to make sure that they are operating in a way that's going to keep them around. So... This is certainly one of those distasteful times where a, it's not single entity in the NWSL, but that's how they're operating. It's essentially like this player wants to be in Orlando. How do we make this happen so that we can make it relatively fair for everybody? But it's essentially like we're, we're, they're, they're having to manipulate the situation because there's no, way, there, there's no way Alex Morgan gets traded if she's not asking for this and she's not a World Cup star, a, a national team star, you know? That's not happening. Yeah. So, so they're just I, they're just moving some pieces around, sort of independent of what those individual teams might do if given their own choices. Which again sounds terrible, but is necessary as part of the NWSL package. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not mad at NWSL for doing it. Just kind of going like, wow, this is just gives a lot of words. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah, here, here's the paragraph that I read in the in the news this morning from Grant Wall's piece. In return for Morgan and Canadian national teamer Kaylin Kyle. Portland is set to receive Orlando's first pick in the NWSL draft. That's the college draft. Two international slots. U.S. national team fullback Megan Klingenberg, who's expected to not be one of the two protected national team players from Houston, and likely Lindsey Horan as the first new allocation coming in from overseas. I mean, it seems to me like Portland's getting getting a lot. They're, they're making out here. Yeah, which got me, especially with Lindsey Horan. I know she, 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 she wasn't getting that much playing time PSG, not PSG, PSG. 
Yeah. So I'm happy she's she's back in America. But it can see like this is a lot of wood being thrown out and the Mega Cleanboy situation just kinda of went yeah. What's you, and I kept going. What's you thinking? They're not. Out of but, it? But that's then, the thing. But then you said they're not protecting you. Right. They, they, if they're not protecting her and she gets drafted, I mean, I don't know if if NWSL has built-in compensation. I think MLS teams get compensated somehow if they lose a player in expansion draft. I imagine Houston will get something, but it's not going to be the value of Megan Klingenberg. No. Yeah. All, All right. right. That- that was it. Just confusing. I right, appreciate the call, Richard. Call in and pointed out somebody. Yeah, you know, right, thanks a lot. When a, when a league is in this nascent growth phase, and we're talking about NWSL going into its fourth season, it's clearly going to be odd. It's going to be strange. And again, we don't have to like it, but I think you have to sort of accept that this is the lay of the land for them. Roberto, Connecticut, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, Jason. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I'm just wondering if you um, have any opinions on the FIFA Ballon d'Or shortlist and the Coach of the Year uh, shortlist. Uh, not we, obvious, obviously knowing that we know who's going to be top three and all, but just the ones that are at the bottom half. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess when we talk about the Ballon d'Or shortlist, what we're talking about always is the, the surprise inclusions, right? Um, it's mm. because again, or exclusion. you you know, or exclusion, you know, Ronaldo's going to be there, you know, Messi's going to be there. Uh, let me look at the list here. Uh, Aguero, Bale, Benzema, Ronaldo, De Bruyne, Azard, Ibrahimovic, Iniesta, Tony Cruz. Is this? Yeah, this is uh, this is this one. Uh, Tony Cruz, uh, Le- uh, Robert Lewandowski, Mascherano. Okay, uh, Lionel Messi, Thomas Muller, Manuel Neuer, Neymar, Pogba, Rakitic, Robin, James Rodriguez, Alexis Sanchez, Luis Suarez, Yaya Torre, and Arturo Vidal. Um, I mean, nobody's jumping out at me that should be there. Do you have a name? Tevez, Carlos Tevez. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, he was obviously such a driving force of that Juve team that went to the Champions League final. I just don't, I don't know that he's on the level. I mean, he to me, I, he did some. He, he scored some great goals. He scored some. Maybe, maybe compare in comparison to some of the bottom half guys on this list, he's certainly there. But I, I, I don't get worked yeah. up. I don't get worked up that Tevez is left off. I mean, if you're going to take somebody off for Tevez, who would it be? Um, Yaya Torre, maybe. Okay. Maybe Yaya Torre. Maybe Yaya Torre. I mean, you you can, you might get the feeling that Yaya Torre is a bit of a, um, I mean, I hate to say this, sort of a token inclusion based on his performance last year, or based on, based on 2014, mm. 2015. Not that he's not a great player and he hasn't been Ballon d'Or quality before, but I don't know that his most recent year is on the same level. I think he got on that list because of the um, African Cup of Nations performance he okay. had. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's obviously part of it. I mean, that's 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 a major part. International soccer is a major part of uh, of this uh, of this list. It's it's obviously European. I mean, that's, it's a European list. There's, yeah. I mean, so you're going to have this sort of focus on European players, the big clubs. I mean, there's just not a lot of you're not going to have a lot of room for anybody. Who is off the beaten path, and and I, I yeah, Torre and, and the Africa, I, I, yeah, I, I guess that gets included for that. I, I think the last person to be on this list that did not play in a league in Europe was Neymar when he was at Santos, and he was killing it there. Yeah, I mean that, and that's that's not that's not really cool. I mean, it's not. I mean, I know the biggest clubs, the most high profile clubs, the best clubs in the world are in, in Europe. There's no doubt about that. But it, it would be nice, maybe Absolutely. it would be nice, maybe to see. A little bit more variety. The problem is, of course, that the the natural assumption is if you're not playing in Europe, you haven't made that jump. You're not playing at the best level. You're not really worthy of this. Well, I mean, Neymar was considered. I, I was looking at the um, 
previous shortlist is from like 2011, 2012. Neymar was among the top 10 when he was at Santos. Mm-hmm. So that's, so that's just something, that, don't you think? Yeah, I, I, that's true. I mean, he was obviously a phenomenon coming out of, of Brazil, so that it makes a lot of sense. It, it's going to be, it's going to be Brazil. I don't even know if we're ever going to see an, uh, a player from an Argentinian uh, Argentinian club on this list because, you know, mm-hmm. as, as 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 big and as popular as Boca and River are, certainly some of those other clubs in in Argentina, you're talking about different sort of status in in, in the. I mean, great clubs, but but maybe the players that they get. I mean, again, the perception being when an Argentinian player comes good at the age of twenty, what happens? He gets sold to Europe. He's gone. He's not, and, and yeah. then, you know, yeah. m- maybe he comes back and plays at the age of 35, 38 <laughs> in, in Argentina. That's kind of the perception we have. Mm, exactly. What about the coach of the year? Yeah, uh, Allegri, Ancelotti, Laurent Blanc, uh, Emery from Sevilla, uh, Pe- Pep Guardiola, Luis Enrique, Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, excuse me, Jorge Sampioli, uh, Diego Simeone, and Arsene Wenger. I'm not sure if Wenger belongs on this list, but... Uh, who else? I mean, where's where's the beef? There is no beef. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, yeah, maybe uh, pick your winner or top three. Um, if you have to I, choose. Man, uh, let's see. Well, we've got uh, Luis Enrique, who I'm not sure people thought would get Barcelona back to that level as quickly as he did. Um, obviously, Pep has been Pep is a fantastic manager um, with a big name who's probably going to get a lot of consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Jose. I mean, I don't know when the voting happened. Uh, but Jose's probably not going to win it, despite winning the Premier League back with Chelsea. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe I'd like to see somebody like Simeone get recognized, but there, there's a lot of good coaches in this list. Well, I, I actually would like to see maybe Sambioli, second or third, yeah. the Chilean coach. Just yeah. Done yeah. I, 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 think, I think that uh, Sambioli probably gets, um, I mean, he stands out on this list only because he's not coaching at a, uh, at a European club. Right, everybody else. Exactly. I mean, Allegri, Ancelotti, uh, Laurent Blanc. Uh, okay, Guardiola. I mean, they're all coaching at European clubs, big time European clubs. And Sampioli's the the the, uh, the outlier there. Yeah, let's go. Let let's root for for Sampioli. I'll pick him right now. Winning Copa America, taking Chile to to where they are. Sure. I think that I think that would uh, I think that's um that shows a lot considering you're the only outlier out of these list of big name coaches at big mm-hmm. name clubs. You know, yeah. give some recognition to national teams or. South American or anywhere outside Europe, basically. Yeah, I'm with you, dude. I'm totally with you, Roberto. All right, enjoy the call. Good stuff. Uh, you know, over uh, generally speaking, I think awards, especially awards that that, that uh, amount to popularity contests, are, are overrated. Uh, but it's fun to, to talk about. That certainly, Sampioli deserves some recognition for what he did. Ed in Kansas City, you're on the air. Good morning. I got two decision day questions for you. All right. Uh, Four teams in the West vying for three spots. Who doesn't make it? Four teams in the West vying for three spots. Obviously, Sporting Kansas City didn't help themselves by failing to beat Colorado last night. Um, I, I still, I, I still think the Quakes are the team that's left out. I still think it's the Quakes. Because I, 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 I think I don't see the them MLS beating. Sorry, to move that Red yeah. Bull game back. Yeah, really hurt the Quakes. It does. It does because now FC Dallas has to go for it if they have any shot. At the supporter shield, not necessarily knowing they can't adjust to whatever the Red Bull result was, so that means they've got to go at it. And and Preha's a, a, a good coach who, uh, and they don't lose at home. I mean, they, I think uh, let me, where's their record? They they've lost twice at home all year. I, I don't expect them to lose at home to uh, to to San Jose. Yeah, MLS finally doing something that 
somewhat makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm glad to see it. I mean, um, you know, sort of up, coming around to the notion that MLS is just going to have to deal with the fact uh, it's going to be going up against uh, the NFL during this window. If they continue to stick with this playoff uh, final weeks of the season window, uh, and just you know, why not blow it out on a day like Sunday and and just say, you know what, we're going to get what we get. You can't schedule around the other competitions, the other sports. You just can't do it. So s- go with this this competitively fair setup that is decision day. Uh, everybody playing at the same time with caveats. Yeah, I don't think. I think Jonathan Tannewall was saying on Twitter when it came out that Saturday won't work because of all the college football. I don't know if there's a good choice between those two leagues. No. Maybe Friday? Yeah, but I, I, I don't think all, uh, Friday is a terrible – I don't think that's a good day, especially to have something this important. You want those stands full, and Friday makes it tough to fill up the stands, I think, for a lot of places, especially if you – you know, are you going to, what, do 7 o'clock Eastern games and then – and the nine o'clock uh, nine. West Coast games, even that, even nine o'clock nine o'clock Eastern time West Coast games. That's six p.m. Uh, for those Western teams. Whoever I don't know who's playing at home out west, but that's six p.m. for them. And and I imagine that that would be difficult to get the stands filled up. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the second question is: Y'all are doing the ramble for the DC United game. Yes. Um, but what game are you looking forward to the most? Uh, let's see, what game am I looking forward to the most? I mean, now that Sporting has lost to Colorado last night, I think that Sporting LA game gets very interesting. And for another reason, on the LA side of things, they want to be able to avoid a road game in the, in the opening round of the playoffs. I think they will, and they're set up for it, but you can't make that, you know, you can't, you can't assume that if you're LA. And they've been so bad on the road that I think it's imperative for the Galaxy to finish uh, top three in order to make sure... Uh, that uh, that they are not having to go on the road opening in the playoffs. Yeah, I, there's a bunch of good games. I think MLS can't be sad about it. There's only like two games that don't have playoff implications. So, yep, yep. it's a good setup. It is. It is. Uh, it, it could be more dramatic. Thanks for the call, Ed. It could be more dramatic. We could, you know, we could have more teams vying just to get in rather than this notion of of, of playoff seating being in play. Um, I think that as but but considering that this is uh, this is a good decision by MLS to go with these blocks of games and was a good decision to move the New York game, absolutely the right decision. I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna assume they did that completely because Dax McCarty said so, and I know we we talked about it. Somebody referenced that we talked about it with Mark Fishkin like last week. So here you go. Here's something that just came across my uh, Twitter feed from Jeff Carlisle. The uh, the top jersey sales in MLS. Trevor, I don't think you've seen this list. You want to make a guess? Who's number one? Number one jersey sold in MLS. Keep in mind that there's probably a delay in the stats. So it's not like certainly certain recently ar- arrived individuals are going to make the list right now. This is, uh, let's see, I- I'm not sure, 2000, since the 2000, st- since the start of the season. So some players haven't been in the league that long. Maybe their jersey sales aren't quite on that level. No guesses. No guesses at all. All right, I'll just, I'll just read the list. Top 10 selling MLS jerseys. Number one, Clint Dempsey. Number two, Steven Gerrard. Kaká, number three, Andrea Pirlo, four, David Villa, five. Obafemi Martin, six, Frank Lampard, seven, Bradley Wright Phillips, eight, Breck Shea, nine, Mixed Disc Rude, ten. That's one, two, three, four NYCFC players in the top ten list. Two Seattle Sounders, 
two Orlando City players. That's and obviously Steven Gerrard, uh, the Galaxy. That's this is all big money being repped right here. This is all uh, if you spend money on on names, you'll sell jerseys. I don't, I don't. Uh, of course, this is a single entity league, and all of these things are uh, are um, uh, uh, it's a single entity league. All these things are shared. But it is interesting to see where these things stand. All right, a couple of things I I don't know that I know, uh, noted at the top of the show. I wanted to get into. U.S. Women's National Team played last night, friendly against Brazil, part of the victory tour. They ended up with a 1-1 draw. Shannon Box, last professional game. Carly Lloyd scoring in the 85th minute. I may have mentioned that at the top of the call-in segment. By the way, phone line's still open, 646-832-3909. And troubling news out of Europe. Legendary Johan Cruyff has been diagnosed with lung cancer. Uh, that's, uh, that's terrible news. Let's hope, uh, let's hope that this is a, a, a treatable situation for... Well, one of the legends of world football, certainly um, a massive figure in the Dutch game uh, and in the Spanish game, a guy with um, an incredible resume. Um, touched down in Mexico for a little while there, uh, which he was Guadalajara. Uh, but he's currently bat- battling lung cancer, his spokesperson said on Thursday. He's been in the hospital this week for tests, and it's been confirmed. She gave no, uh, his spokesperson gave no comment on his condition, saying he was going undergoing further tests so uh best wishes to uh to johan cruyff 646-832-3909 the other thing out of uh grant wall who's been just killing it over the last couple days reporting on the alex morgan trade reporting on jason christ perhaps being out at nycfc in favor of patrick Vieira. in that same column in which he references uh unless in which he talks about christ Vieira and NYCFC. He's got a story of a power struggle at U.S. Soccer, and you know, as um, as we move along here, it's bad enough that the team is losing and not playing well. Uh, to hear that there may be some things happening behind the scenes that are uh, causing rifts within the organization is is probably more troubling than even the results, because it it means that it's more it's going to be more difficult to fix these things. People inside of U.S. Soccer have said that uh, Jay Burhalter, brother of Greg Burhalter and U.S. Soccer's chief commercial director has started taking over a lot of the day-to-day technical director duties. Of course, this is one of the titles that Jurgen Klinsmann holds. Burhalter even called an important meeting in Chicago in August that did not include Klinsmann. If Klinsmann is a stakeholder, if he's one of the people involved making the decisions as a technical team, whether he's the technical acting technical director, the technical director in name, whatever it is, if he's part of that, you would expect him to be at any and all meetings that involve anything uh, important uh, people on the inside have different views about this situation one said Burhalter is a smart guy who gets things done another said if you're going to give Klinsman the technical director job you should just let him do it without interference communication and this is the rub for me communication between Burhalter and Klinsman is described as quote-unquote not good one insider used the term power struggle of course U.S. soccer denying this any perception that there's a power struggle is simply false Everyone is working collectively to improve the technical side on a daily basis. Now, further into this story, it talks about Jurgen Klinsmann summarily firing Sue Falsone, who was the trainer for the U.S. soccer, had, uh, had been with the team for a year after previously being with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Grant says that, among other things, he was told that Klinsmann was not happy with the way she dealt with Alejandro Bedoya's illness that kept him out of the CONCACAF Cup playoff against Mexico and the friendly against Costa Rica. This is not, again, uh, you know, look, trainers lose their job. People get fired. People get fired. And maybe that's for cause. 
But we're just seeing more and more of these leaks, more and more of these cracks in the facade that is Jurgen Klinsmann's tenure as U.S. soccer technical director and head coach. And then to see Jurgen Klinsmann on Twitter retweeting and, well, sharing a story in which he is painted as doing excellent work on the technical director's side, a piece that appears at American Soccer Now, why would he need to do that if he is confident of his position and of his program? Hey, Wendy, this is uh, the article. Um, I have it here. Let me let me pull up the article so I definitely get it right. Uh, uh, um, American Soccer Now with a piece, um, all, again, on his tenure as technical director. I'm, I'm trying to get... I'm trying to get the details here. I apologize. Let's uh, let's see. I'm gonna just click the link that's in Jurgen Klinsmann's tweet because that's where I saw this. This is from uh, Wendy Thomas. Excuse me. Uh, Jurgen, Klins- a tale of two Klinsmans, technical director and coach. Jurgen Klinsmann has two big jobs within U.S. soccer since December 2013. He has performed remarkably well in one one role, but has struggled badly in the other. She then goes on to talk about the difference in his job performance in both of these roles, including a full. Explanation of some of the positive steps that have been taken in terms of youth development under Jurgen Klinsmann as technical director. And again, Klinsmann is on Twitter saying, Wendy, appreciate the article. A lot of true facts. You have a sense for the bigger picture. Exclamation point, because that's what Klinsmann does. I don't, I mean, if Jurgen Klinsmann agrees with this story, that's great. To pick out the press he's going to highlight and tweet that. That's not something that somebody in his position should be doing, in my opinion. Uh, does not give the impression that he's got total control of, of what he's doing in his program. It seems as though he's desperate for some sort of positive reinforcement. And this is a guy, remember, who has consistently talked about how there needs to be more pressure on everybody, but when it comes to pressure on him, that doesn't fly as much. Just an interesting turn of events. Probably talk a little bit more about that today on Sirius XM FC. If you guys have a subscription, please listen to Soccer Morning from 11 to 1. Big show lined up today. Thank you very much to Ross Dunbar for his appearance today. Good stuff on German football as always. Go follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. Reminder, Rabble broadcast coming up on Sunday for Decision Day. Myself, Jerry Dubois, 5 o'clock Eastern. We'll be watching DC United and Crew SC uh, on the national feed, but we'll be following along with those other Eastern Conference games as well as they have implications in uh, mostly in seeding, but also New England needs to get in. Some things happening there. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow on Friday. Thanks uh, for listening. Blah, 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 blah. See you then. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What happened my